So, you ready for another show, Paul? Yeah, ready to roll. Yeah, we got our synopsises. You know, I'm really not. <sighs> Have you seen Professor Allen anymore? I'm getting tired of writing my synopsises. And he's... I fired his ass. Fired him? Why? Come on, the guy's obnoxious. He was the only one that you you actually liked. Everybody else, you seemed to just, you know, you just didn't want. And I was so picky. You just you're just too picky. Well, everybody else has got a problem. What can I tell you? Like who? Next name. Grundy. First name. Solomon. When were you born? Monday. I see. I see. You don't have a resume. Uh, what exactly do you expect to get out of this? Solomon Grundy went pants. Um, you understand this is an unpaid inter- internship, right? Unpaid. Solomon Grundy went pants. Uh, you're expected to come in with pants. Knickers. Slacks. Bloomers. Breeches. Chaps. Chinos. Necks. Shorts. Dungarees. Quarters. I'll take pantaloons. Something. Give me anything. Luchy gates. Proper. Back to the bin. Do you, do you watch the How It Should Have Ended videos? I've seen a few. Because it, it, it always ends up in the superhero cafe with Batman and Superman. Because I'm Batman. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they, they recently did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, How It Should Have Ended. Mm-hmm. And I think it, end, it ends in the cafe and Batman gets into a debate with Groot. Because Groot keeps saying, I am Groot. <laughs> and he keeps saying, I'm Batman. <laughs> Superman's like, this could go on for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh so anybody listening i'm paul spataro and, and i am joined by my ever faithful sidekick dr william robinson what am i lassie i was thinking tanto but okay how and we are joined today to answer the age-old question is whether the english teacher who reads comic books is respected by the kids or secretly made fun of behind his back and in order to answer that question, we have Mr. Tom Panarese with us today. A, a little from column A and a little from column B, I suppose. I, it is high school. <laughs> How are you guys when, doing? When I was in high school, there was, you know, the they English had teachers, tablets. You know, oh. back, back, back in ancient times, the English teacher ran the little mini school store over by the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could buy, you know, the school yeah. you know, books with the school picture on it or whatever yeah we had one of those pencils rulers all of that crap but he had a little stack of comic books 25 cents each that's cool and basically i came in and cleaned them out one day (laughs) but uh, but i always thought you know despite despite the fact that no one else realized it, i always thought that guy's cool (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome how are you guys doing I'm doing great, and I'm glad we finally have you on. We were just saying it's been way, way too long for for you and I to wait uh, to to speak. Yeah, you know, all things considered, how much how much uh, communicating we've done over the last few years is the yeah. first time we're getting a chance to actually talk. Yeah, and I've been listening to this show since episode forty. Say the something? one where he came on. Say the one where he came on. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, you know what? If if 
if Tom was paying close enough attention, he would have heard my name in a lot of those earlier episodes when I used to write emails. In. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I remember um, I actually right around the time I first started listening to podcasts, you would write a lot of emails to them. So that's how I that's how I first got to know your name. So when you started appearing on shows and stuff like that, it's it is one of those things where it's like you're I already knew who you were and knew, knew you. Yeah. So I, the first episode I remember listening to back to the bins was I want to say when they did it was probably like episode 50 or something when they did uh, one of the Superman Spider-Man team ups. But, okay. Yeah. I, rem- I remember God, that was long they, ago. <laughs> they had Chris on with them and mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was, those were good. I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that they've done those cause I don't want to repeat what they've already done, mm-hmm. but those are great books and I would love to have had the opportunity to cover them. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> alas, we have to find from the other millions of comics out there. I know we have some some pretty good ones tonight too. Yeah, yeah, I think we have a, a nice little uh, cross section of, of stuff. A little little Bronze Age, a little bit of the nineties. Is mm-hmm. it nineties, Bill? Your book? Uh, it's right at two thousand. Okay, okay. So, yeah, close, so late close 90s. enough to the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, we have one piece of email that I'd like to just uh, read in. Just one. Just one. Just one. I think just one. One, 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 it's one, from one, uh, one, Mr. One, Timothy one. Elliott. It's one email. It just came in. Boom, 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 boom. It just came in, and now Paul's going to read it. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. Okay. And, and now here's your long-distance dedication. <laughs> <laughs> the email is titled, Not Spam, BTTB, number 120, 176, or New York Stat of Mind. I don't know if that's meant to be a pun or if it's just a typo. It says, hello, hello, Paul and Tom DJ. I wanted to write to tell you how much I enjoyed Back to the Bins 176. Two guys talking old school Marvel in DC. It was 133 minutes of pure joy. The comments on comic universes not being allowed to grow organically is one of the problems I have with the new 52. DC wants to reboot or restart, but they are afraid to let go of the past and retell prior stories. They want... They want to a new beginning, but include most of the old history. It's too much all at once. Just one guy's opinion. Cheers, Tim Elliott, Carrollton, Texas. I couldn't agree with you more, Tim. Uh, I think that the new 52, I think it's one of the reasons that, in my opinion, the new 52 fails. Because I think they just tried to have their cake and eat it too. They tried to, you know, we're starting everything new, but Batman still has... uh, you know, Nightfall still happened, and Doomsday still happened with Superman, and Green Lantern, everything has gone on with him, but other people are new, and we're going to change that. It's it's just, to me, it's just a mess, and there were probably about four titles that I latched onto early on that I was enjoying reading, and they kind of faded from my uh, from my view after a while, and I don't think right now that I'm reading anything regularly. Are you guys reading anything that's coming out from DC now? I mm, no, I, not me. I have Earth Two and World's Finest, the the Futures End Weekly, which I I get that will suck you in, and it's sucking my wallet dry. The the Earth Two World's End Weekly, which I'm not enjoying as much, but it's tying into Earth Two. I was reading Wonder Woman, but dropped it right after Brian Azzarello's run was over. Because yeah, I heard, just, I heard good things about that run. Yeah, it was it was really good, um, <clears throat> and 
I started picking up Batgirl again because I had been listening to, I've been watching it, not watching it, reading it, and then dropped it because I just didn't like it. And then once the new creative team came on, and that's because I listened to Stella's Batgirl, the Oracle podcast on a regular basis. So she kept recommending it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up. But it's actually pretty fun. But I had the one title I was pretty attached to that got canceled in one of the first waves of cancellations was Demon Knights, which I was really enjoying. And it seemed that some of the titles that didn't have a lot of history or baggage to them when they started the New 52 were actually slightly better because it didn't have all that baggage and continuity and, mm. okay, when are we going to get around to doing this version of this character or this version of this story now? Which... Now, realistically, the whole idea of rebooting is to avoid that baggage, which I just know. kind of makes it crazy that, that they have to deal with that. Yeah, but there's like, Jeff Johns is involved, and the man can write a good story, but there are times when I feel like I'm almost reading his personal fan fiction, where like, you know, he's taking the toys out, and he's like, I want to play Crisis, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a turnoff there. It's like, you know... You know, put the anti monitor back, you know, things like that. Like, you know, come up with put something. The anti monitor back. Step away from the anti monitor. <laughs> are you are you keeping up with Grayson and Robin mm. and Teen Titans mm. and that stuff considering you? Now, I have to tell you that when I saw the solicit for Teen Titans for the new fifty two, I, I finally walked away after twenty I started reading Teen Titans in nineteen ninety. So and I was a avid avid fan of the titans for years and when they announced the new 52 and i saw that first of all i saw that scott lobdell was writing it and my memory of scott lobdell was when i dropped the x books back in the 90s because he was writing them then and they were terrible and i saw the art and i'm like i don't think this is for me and i just dropped titans after 21 years of reading Mm -hmm. it and never looked back and batman i've been hot and cold on in the last five six years most of my robin stuff is you know, back from kind of when I started collecting. And then Grayson, I had been reading Nightwing and I dropped it because I didn't like it and uh, I didn't pick up Grayson, even though it looks like a good concept, but I'm just... Yeah, I've know. heard good things about Grayson, but I haven't actually read anything, so I can't speak from first-hand experience on that. Yeah, I might poke around a comicsology and pick up a thing here or there because, you know, it's... Sometimes I'll buy the digital just because I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And if I want to actually go to the comic store and, and drop the money on have it taking up space in my house, I'll do that. But if it's something I don't like, I don't have to worry about, you know, what am I going to do with this issue of this comic that I didn't like? So, Right. Yeah. Just just for anybody listening, because I didn't bother to go any further. <laughs> uh, you, you probably do already know who Tom is, but if you don't, Tom does the... Well, uh, three three that I can think of offhand, very fine yeah, podcasts. There's only three. <laughs> okay, we have Pop Culture Avidavid, we have In Country, and we have Taking Flight, all yes. three of which are fine podcasts. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. This is that Tom Panner? I thought we had Tom Banner Reese on here. Oh, oh, hey, I hey, all right. <laughs> no, that that was that was my that was my alias in in the '90s when I had a membership to Columbia House. <laughs> <laughs> And the science fiction book club, you know, yeah, yeah. join into this one. Twelve for a penny. <laughs> what could what go, wrong? go wrong? <laughs> How do I keep getting all these books for twenty bucks a pop? And the special carrying bag. Yes. Ooh. And the book light. <laughs> the book light came in handy. <laughs> 
I got I don't more, want, more I don't books. Want, I don't want to. I got know. more books through book clubs like that that I never read. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks good in the ad, but then I get it and it's like, oh god, this is so dry. I did read most of the ones I got. Even you know, then I sold them later. Uh, there was very few that I just out and out went ah. But, uh, do you uh, do you push any comic geek type literature on students? Um, I actually do. I have taught a few comics in class. I've used for the man who has everything. Um, who is Donna Troy? And recently was doing a, a very short unit with, on superheroes because it was just kind of the 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 transitional period between two marking periods and we just wanted something to, where we didn't have to do anything like really heavy in my honors class. So I showed some clips from various movies, but we read The Night When Stacy Died, which basically meant that I used up all the ink in the photocopier because I don't have, you know, one of the tough things about teaching anything involving comic books is if you want 30 kids, 25, 30 kids to read it, you've got to somehow get them to get 25 or 30 copies and, you know, mm-hmm one issue so i basically would make photocopies of something and um and i've i've recommended a few things here and then i've had students recommend stuff to me um a lot of them are familiar with stuff like dark knight and watchmen and and uh our library is getting a better selection of trades and graphic novels although most of it is still manga which is not my thing me, me neither. Uh, you're talking the school library or the, public? Yeah, the school library the public library is actually really good has a really good collection um I've been no. I've been, I checked out quite a number of things through there. Uh, they have. They've got a few of the um, when they were doing the Marvel Marvel's finest collections of the Burn FF, and uh, so I read a lot of that, and that's how I read All Star Superman. And so I, I would recommend every once in a while I recommend them something. But yeah, we have we have some com- we have some conversations about stuff. Mm-hmm. Mostly lately, it's been about Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. It just depends on who's in my classes and and stuff and and they're all and and we also talk about the movies and stuff like that so which i feel guilty because i'm always i'm usually about like three to six months behind everybody when it comes to going and seeing the movies because i don't always get to go to the movies and see oh it's it's so expensive (laughs) yeah how how old your son now he's seven (laughs) he hasn't Mm. quite hit in about another two years or so i think you get to the point where you get to see everything with him yeah we saw we saw Big Hero Six last week, not last weekend, two weeks ago. So that with my kids. That was fun. Yeah, it was. And we saw the Lego Movie back in uh, when it was in theaters. But like, so that with my kids. Yeah, I, I made a note <laughs> to go by myself to see Man of Steel. Um, so that with my kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think he'll. I'll have to check it out. But I think when Star Wars comes out next year, I might be able. He might be old enough to go because I was trying to think back to like you know when I saw some of these movies and I saw Jedi in the theater when I was six. And um, six, and he, yeah, wow. I was six years old when Jedi came out, so we went and saw it in the theater. And then I saw, um, and he's watched Star Wars Empire, and yeah, Jedi I was and... uh, 21. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but yeah, so he, so he, I've got a couple of years. So when the when that second wave of movies starts coming out, and some of the more, you know some of them I'll be able to take him to depending on, you know, what they're rated and, and what and how much is in them and stuff like that. But so I'm looking forward to that. Well now is he into video games? He is. Get him um, get him the Lake Star Wars game and that'll start to gear him up for it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, we're, it's, uh, and it's nothing offensive in there, so it's not you know like you got to worry about the violence or anything. Cool. I mean, they, yeah. the, the Lego figures do get broken up into pieces, but yeah. there's no he's blood. Been, he's been watching the car, the um the Lego Star Wars cartoons, and he's also been watching Rebels too, which has been pretty, which is you know for for a kids show, it's pretty good, and um he loves watching Teen Titans Go because, and it's actually a really funny show if you've watched it. Oh, my, my, the new my, one or the old one? The new one. Um, my daughter watched the was old watching the new one, and she was saying that made her kind of nostalgic for the old one. It it will, but like to a seven year old, it's like the funniest sitcom he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's I think why I like it so much. It is it is very sitcommy. It's not as action packed. I actually really really like the old. Uh, I love how we're calling it the old one. It's not even. Is it ten years old by now? I mean, it um, might be, but roughly. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I'm, yeah. It's definitely ten years since it went on. It may yeah. not be ten years since it went off. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, I really liked that. Um, I, I did too. So, and, and I, I watched pretty much all of those with my kids, and yeah. you know, it was kind of cool because you know, because I'm I'm never going to grow up, and oh yeah, they're young enough to enjoy it, so you know, yeah. it all worked out well. Yeah. Well, and he has like three books on my pull list. At my LCS, he has the uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, Miles Morales. No, the the one that ties into the tell of the cartoon. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay. Um, he has Scooby-Doo Team Up, which <laughs> is actually really fun. Fun, and then he, I think he's been picking up Adventure Time, which is a show that he he really likes. In fact, when I went to the Baltimore Comic Con, the Kaboom table they were it was it was a little expensive, it was like twenty or thirty dollars, but I got him a. They they had a convention sketch cover and some one of the artists drew a Finn and Jake for him, which was pretty cool. And then and then we both read uh, Hero Bear and the Kid, which if you're unfamiliar with it is really really worth reading. It's a very fun family friendly book that is uh, the guy who did it has an animation background and you can really can tell. So mm. yeah, okay, yeah, that one I don't even think I've heard of that before. It was an it was a like a low run independent comic back in the early 2000s but um but he kaboom picked it up about a year or two ago and put out a five issue miniseries and it did well and i think he's got another miniseries coming out so you should be able to track down uh, a, a couple of issues there were a couple of specials too so it shouldn't be hard to find cool but i do highly recommend it i i got a quick question tom um mm-hmm. Being you're in a school system, are you limited by what topics you can cover or certain comics like that you have to stay away from that touches on certain subject matter that might upset certain parents? It depends, I think. Um, it depends on the level. Like, I teach 10th grade, so mm-hmm. I have a little bit more leeway where that's concerned. Um, I have... With my advanced, my honors class, I can definitely get away with a little bit more than my general level class because they just have the they have the maturity for it a little right. bit. Um, and then it's like, does it for me? I'm not even looking at the the violence or the sexual content or anything. I'm usually looking at whether or not it fits into kind of like the other stuff we're reading and the topics and themes we cover. But um, for instance, we have stuff like uh, Mouse, for instance available in the library and we i mean we read we we read a fair amount of of literature that has its fair share of sex violence and stuff so um i think you know some of it i I really have never tried to push any of the boundaries because i haven't really found anything that that would need to but um 
So I well, could tell see, you. See, I'm just thinking you mentioned that some of them are familiar with Watchmen. I think that yes. might stretch the boundaries. It might. At the beginning of every year, I actually send a notice home saying, you know, there are some works mm. of literature in here that deal with, with themes that are very mature. Because we spend, a, we read uh, Illy Wiesel's Night. So we spend a good month or two discussing the Holocaust. So it's stuff like that. And then there are a couple of, of, of things that we read that have a little bit of, you know, sex and stuff in them. So, um, and, you know, so I always, and I give them the out. I'm like, if you are offended, I will offer an alternative assignment, you know. Mm. Um, but sometimes it's limiting the curriculum is, I would say the two biggest factors are either somebody else in my department's teaching it in another grade level. So it's kind of off limits then, or the money's not there to get the copies of the book we need. But uh, it's very rare that we tend to run into a problem with something. Um, one of my colleagues did with some young adult novel he did a couple of years ago, and the parent tried to get it removed from the school and stuff. But they mm. backed him up on it, especially because he had offered the kid a, you know, that's kind of the out. If you say, well, if you don't want to do it, you can read something else, you know, um, and nine times out of ten, they're pretty fine with that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, like the catcher in the rye, here's something else that you can read, and, and you here's can... the phone book. Now shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always say because he was coming up with this problem, and his mother was making, and I said, "Did you offer him an alternative assignment?" He said, "Yeah." And I said, "Did you?" Sh-? I said, "You should have given him Fahrenheit 451, <laughs> <laughs> which is the book we're actually reading right now in one of my in my in my English class." And he was laughing at that. I'm like, you know, I said, or you could have just given him the catcher in the rye. He's like, yeah, because that one went over well. I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, know, some people, though, I think some people are offended for the sake of being offended. Yes. Uh, And I I think like just for argument's sake, if you decided, you know what, we're going to cover the Watchmen. Mm -hmm. And I could see people who are closed minded and don't accept comics as being literature might look at that and say, no, I'm not. I'm not sending my kid to honors English to read a comic. Meanwhile, and, if you did catch her in the rye, they'd say, oh, that's a classic. That's fine. Like, they wouldn't yeah. even look at the content of, of the two books. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just finished mm-hmm. a t- 12th night with my honors class, and we were we spent a, a few minutes here and there talking about how there were dirty jokes in Shakespeare, you know, mm-hmm. and, and where there, and like, and I read like part of act one and scene one. And I said, guys, do you know what a euphemism is? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I said, I read this thing. It was, I, I can't remember the line. But it was basically something about, um, he was comparing this pursuit of a woman to hunting a deer. And it says, you know, once the heart, once my golden shaft pierces the heart. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> he's basically saying one night with me and she'll forget all about him. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, this stuff gets past the radar because nobody, because <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Shakespeare, you know? Yeah, and exactly. you're right, the catcher in the rye. It's like, yeah, but so I think there is that. We all just kind of work under the auspices of the old CYA policy of like, you know, if you've covered your ass well enough, hmm. that way, you know, <laughs> it's it's almost like when you get called on the carpet for something, the your your boss will back you up. But one of the first questions they ask you in private is like, were you ready for this? And that's why I say like, you know, usually I send something home saying Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the year, I just send a blanket statement home saying there's stuff in here. And if you're offended by it, let me know and we'll find other opportunities. And then that basically is, is, is covering for it unless the parent really is, you know, that rare parent who you're right is just offended for the sake of offending and wants to take it even further for whatever reason they feel the need to. 
which gets annoying. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, I'm sure. I, I'm absolutely sure. Well, you know, I, I mean, just just from the other side of the spectrum, you know, from from the parent point of view, mm-hmm. when I've had issues with teachers, whatever they may be, yeah, uh, I usually start the whole process off by by just kind of trying to make sure I let them know, hey, we're both trying to do the same thing here. I'm not here to battle you. We're just trying to figure out how to get my kid the best education we can get him. Yeah, so you come in. Uh, what's so, that? I mean, so you come in like Gregory Peck as Atticus <laughs> <laughs> Finch, with, uh, you, know, you know, with your white suit and the glasses, and you set your briefcase down. But 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 I find like I've I've found that if you come in ready to be offended, the teacher will automatically kind of get their back up against the wall and be ready to fight with you if they need to. But if you let them know, look, I'm not, I'm not here to get you in trouble, to bother you, or to make your life more difficult. I just want to make sure that, you know, that I, we do whatever my kid needs to get his, his education right. And yeah. usually they, at that point, they, they automatically back down and say, yeah, let's, what do we got to do to help this, you know? And, and they're much more receptive to talking at that point. And that's like any situation. You come in looking for a fight, and it's not going to be as productive as if you just approach it, even if you are up for confrontation if you approach it with a little bit just on a with a, a little bit more calmly you know and granted being a teacher I do tend to give you know my kids teachers the benefit of the doubt a little bit more but um, you know and we've had things with like you know his kindergarten and his first grade teacher because he's a seven six seven year old boy who's very smart and but also doesn't sit still all the time and you know but we've found that patience is sometimes the best policy but then sometimes when you have to get forceful um neither of us gets neither of us has ever had a conversation where we've gotten like gone off like a screaming lunatic because you know that never gets anywhere (laughs) and and yet it always seems like the the squeaky wheel gets the grease so sometimes it looks like the person who goes off screaming is getting their way and 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 you start saying you know maybe i should be like that and i just won't because it's just not me but, but I'm the one who will just let them scream and stand there with this look on my face that after a while, you can tell it's really hard for me not to roll my eyes. And I'm just like, you know, because it, <laughs> it's just where I'm just kind of like very flat and very, you know, mm-hmm, I understand. I understand. Like, you know, OK, let them go. Let them let them have their moment. And then and then we kind of come back to it and. It seems to work in that I've never really had a shouting match with a parent because I'd never really would want to. I had shouting matches with students, but that <laughs> I would probably if, if the teachers if the parents started screaming like that, I'd probably be like Bugs Bunny and I'd hold up pictures of like bats in a belfry, and <laughs> yeah. screwball, and... exactly. duck season, rabbit season, duck season. Fire. Anyway, this this is this is actually very interesting, but I'm not sure. It's interesting for me. I think it's interesting for Bill, but he's sitting there with a toilet. Seat on his head. On his head, yeah. <laughs> hey, I finally got that toilet seat on there. Well done. You didn't, well played, my friend. You didn't see the other follow-up picture, did you, where I had to take the saws off to the old one, did you? No, I, I don't think I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife was worried. She's like, now he's using a power saw. Dude, is a saw really needed to fix a toilet seat? It did you get the not- old one off? The old ones are generally held on with plastic uh, screws. Screws, yes. Yeah, I've had to you should not need a sawzall, and I would fear you slicing through the porcelain. 
No, no, no. I, I just or, slid or it your underneath. wrist. Ah, uh, that's 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 a risk I'm willing to take. See, here's what happened. My son and my wife let him do this. Was you know I guess you know it was time. It was maybe it was Festivus in the house. So it was time for the feats of strength. And uh, Ben had to demonstrate how he could snap the toilet seat off of. Well, when you t- snap the toilet seat off, there's nothing to stop the stupid bolts from spinning. So you can't get any leverage to untwist the nuts. So I'm sitting there trying to get these things, you know, and the, the toilet's gross. I don't want to keep touching it. I'm like, ah, I'll be right back. And I I walk in with a sawzall. She's like, what are you doing with that? Ah, I'm going to get these things off of here. <laughs> so, yeah, there was minimal damage to the toilet. Although we, we did think it was going to rattle itself right out of the wall. Just, that thing was vibrating like crazy. On the next episode of Home Time, cabinetry. <laughs> Well, that, that 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 little rant is either making its way into the episode, or it will be Bill's comment after the credits at the end. Nice. Oh yes, yes. I do have a comic rant to to bring up. All right. Well, before we do our uh, synopsis, you might as well have at it. Sure. Okay. I think it was last episode. Uh, I said that Yancey Street had had another sale, and when you spent over twenty five bucks, you could get a uh, a hardback book for for free, which is great. So I picked up the. Uh, Avengers: The Origin. Do, mm-hmm. do you remember? Now this is like a. It was a five issue series. I think they I had, ran that. I think they had two volumes of that, though. No, no, no. You're thinking. I think it was Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Oh, okay. That was like an alternate. Yeah, and that was like a little mini series, like seven or eight um, issues. This one, uh, yeah, it's this. This this collects Avengers: The Origin one through five. And it also has a reprint of Avengers number one. What I didn't know, I started to flip through this. They took 122 pages and retold the 22-page original story. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, really? I, I thought it was going to be like... But the problem is 80 pages of it is Iron Man flying across the country. <laughs> Solar power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost there. Well, and I haven't had a chance to sit down and actually read all of it yet, but but I I skimmed it, and one of there was like one section that I flipped through to where the Hulk kills Iron Man. I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't in the series. There's like a multiple page spread of the one scene in the story to where Thor looked. Do you remember when Thor looked out the window and was distracted, and then he was like, I gotta go. Yeah, I and then he okay. What happened in that one second of time was that Loki put this horrible vision in his head of what would happen if they like if they didn't go after the Hulk, uh, if Thor didn't try to go after the Hulk on his own, and it was this terrible scenario to where the Hulk killed everybody, you know, dogs and cats sleeping together, mass hysteria. But that took like four or five pages of the story. It's like there was a subplot between the bearded fat lady at the um at the circus of crime and the hulk like in how she feels for mecano <laughs> yeah mecano yeah and i was just like wow they really just just really took these little things and just blew them up i couldn't yeah, believe like 10 it pages of hank beating the crap out of james <laughs> jesus <laughs> i told you to shut up in front of my friends <laughs> but no I, I i did not i thought each book was going to cover a specific hero and i was like wow they took a 22 page story and made it six times longer so so you so, were thinking it was gonna be like um was it yeah, jla like, year one from back in the 
it's the late 90s or yeah like 2000s one book one book was going to cover each hero and i was yeah. like well my god daily year one was not a retelling though it was kind of a new story of just the beginning and how yeah. they were how they formed you know the you know, into teamwork and then became a team. Yeah, it was almost like post-crisis JLA origin. Now, they did kind of update it. They made it a little more modern than the original story. You mean but... you mean you didn't have Rick Jones and his ham radio club? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, no, I haven't read the whole thing because, frankly, I was just stunned by that that was what was in the book. So I, I eventually will read the whole thing. But uh, but I was just amazed that but that's that's like the epitome of what we have said with uh, how I mean, and and it's all in one book right there, because at at the end, the last 22 pages are the original story and you've gone through 122 to get here. It's like, wow, really? Way to stretch it out just to just to sell books. Decompression, baby. Mm. Like I'm going to blow up like the like uh, Mr. Big and uh, live and let die. You know why? Why? Because you got nowhere else to go. <laughs> I, I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> why don't you quit, Spataro? <laughs> I don't want to quit. <laughs> I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I've got nothing else. All right, that wasn't even you. You, you got to organically work it in, Paul. <laughs> I thought that was just. That was just. I smooth. thought it was smooth segue, smooth, like smooth, yeah. like silk, like butter. No, you know what? It's it's yeah. I'd like to work it in organically, but if I can't, I'll squeeze it in however I can. Oh, whoa. she's in okay. mind. <laughs> hey, guess what, Paul? All my kids have had their birthdays. I now know how old they are. Well, you know how old they were last year. No, no, <laughs> so I know how old they are now. now. <laughs> he wrote it down. No, I asked my wife just before I came in here. I said, All right, how old's Ben? Ben is 13. Quick. 13. Sorry, wrong. <laughs> what do you know? He's 13. They're all teenagers now. I have all teenagers. Ugh. Well, your, your yeah. oldest is, is 18. Behind, what? She's 18. I was gonna say wow. she's coming close to not being a teenager anymore. Yeah, I know, I know. She she's eighteen, and Sarah Sarah's the one I had to ask the wife. I'm like, how old is Sarah again? Sixteen. Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm seventeen and fourteen. <sighs> I'm seven. Yeah. Well, but you're considerably younger than younger me. than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so you know you you you're still you need to get busy. You need to get, start getting some more. Yeah, you could have three or four more before you're done. I think we're stopping at one. <laughs> so, at least as far as I we can tell. I wouldn't recommend that, but whatever. But they need a friend. They need someone to torment. I didn't have a little brother or sister to torment. I, I did. I had to go find local neighborhood kids to, <laughs> to torture. Small animals and other children. Oh, I was the youngest, so I, I had to, you know, I had to deal with the torment. That's why I've become what I am now. The tormentee become the tormentor. Tormentor, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So uh, we might as well get on to our books before uh, before we bring yeah. the night to a close. Mm-hmm. Das books? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. give you the, uh, 
the option, Tom, as the guest. Normally we do Marvel DC Indie, but uh, as a guest, you're welcome to go wherever you choose. You can go ahead and do that in that order. Right, well, in that, case, in that case, I brought the Marvel this week. Okay. And they're all in age order, too, or yes. printing. From the oldest to the newest. Yes. And uh, I have Captain America and the Falcon, number 183, from March of 1975. It's got a $0.25 cent cover price. And the cover, and in this instance, I did not have to look up the cover to figure out who drew it, because it was quite clearly Gil Kane. Uh, it shows Captain America tied to a chimney from kind of an uncommon angle. And I think he's doing the time warp. You think so? Yeah, he pulled his knees in tight. <laughs> uh, I think he's doing the death uh, rattle, actually. <laughs> but, uh, he, he, you can see he's unconscious on the cover, and you can't tell if he's dead or alive or what, but uh, he's basically you know, cut up and beaten. The cover says, death of a he, hero. He may so, not even be Captain America. <gasps> We would, we would uh, assume he is a former Captain America at this point. He's an ex-parrot! In the background, you see Nomad and the Falcon looking on as Red Wing circles above. And now this story takes place shortly after the Secret Empire storyline story that we've uh, discussed in the past. And uh, after that story, the uh, disenchanted Captain America, or disenchanted Steve Rogers, uh, took on the identity of Nomad. And uh, a series of wannabes at this point have attempted to take on the identity of Captain America. And uh, that's what we're dealing with at this point. So the nomad in the background is actually Steve Rogers. The story is titled Nomad No More. It's written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by Frank Giacoya, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, color by Stan G, and edited by Len Wein. The story opens with Nomad in battle with a gang of chicken men, the leader of which goes by the name Gamecock. So he went to the University of South Carolina? Yeah. <laughs> Where's these player coaches? I, I don't think South Carolina would look this proudly. <laughs> you never know. But any, as they're battling, uh, an unidentified assailant fires a bazooka from an adjacent rooftop that sends the chicken men on their way. <laughs> After they take off, Nomad is confronted by Layla, Falcon's uh, hoochie-wearing girlfriend. Uh, she tells him that Falcon hasn't been seen since he ran off with that kid, Captain America. And uh, as of the last issue, Falcon was attempting to mentor the latest Cap wannabe, a young man named Roscoe. And so Cap leapfrogs off the building and is making his way across town. That's when a he comes painful leapfrog. Damn. What's that? That's a painful looking leapfrog. Well, he's he's quite quite limber. <laughs> Ooh, Ow. sorry. So, so he comes. I'll across, be quiet. He comes across a rally, protesting Nomad's treatment of the Serpent Society, and what appeared to be the death of the Viper. Uh, he tries to explain what had really occurred, and he's attacked by the crowd. He fights his way free and leaves. Uh, where am I? I Get off him. of me, hippie! <laughs> Next, he checks Fal the Falcon's civilian office and stops to feed his cat. Alvin would be proud. While, while there, he meets up with Gabe Jones and Peggy Carter, but they don't know him as being Captain America, so they uh, really don't have any reason to take him into their confidence, and he moves on. Next, uh, Nomad visits with Morgan, a gangster who had put a price on Falcon's head. It turns out that he's the one who sent the chicken gang over to kill him. <laughs> Continuing his search, Nomad sees a disturbance at a bank that's been robbed. 
He tries to contact Luke Cage, but he's out of town. And and he tries to contact Luke Cage because, well, he's black, so he must know the Falcon. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I interpreted that line the right way. <laughs> I, I, unless, unless we're both seeing it wrong. But uh, he comes across another bank that's under siege, and it ends up he ends up in a debate with a man about Captain America and his motivations. Uh, next, he remembers that they had speculated that Sam might be a mutant, so he calls Xavier's school and speaks to the Beast, but no one else is available. Then Nomad is approached by Red Wing, who leads him to a rooftop where he finds the young Cap wannabe deceased and tied to a chimney. And Falcon is beaten and tied up... Uh, on, on the ground as well. Sam says that this was done by the Red Skull, who slaughtered the young man in rage when he realized that it wasn't the real Captain America. Nomad then gives a soliloquy about what has happened to him, his ideals, and what he stands for, ultimately resulting in his putting on the Captain America suit and resuming that identity, and the story is to be continued in the next issue with Cap facing off against the Red Skull. Now, the first thing that jumps out at me about this issue and kind of had this talk before uh, is the Frank Robbins art because I feel it's very polarizing I think Frank Robbins is one of these guys where either you get his artwork and you enjoy it or you hate it I don't think there's a lot of in between on him I actually I think I'm in between because some some of it just looks painful to look at but if I just go as a cartoony style then I can let it go but still it's just kind of very jarring I guess is the word. Yeah, it, it is. And and I I did not like this artwork when I was, uh, what is this, 1975? So when I was a 12-year-old reading this, I did not like this artwork. Uh, but as, as, as I aged, I grew to appreciate it. And I've said before, I don't know how much of it is really appreciating the art and how much of it is nostalgia. But I do enjoy reading the Frank Robbins artwork now. And I think he's got... A really nice style of pacing and storytelling. I think it's real easy to follow what's going on in his books. Uh, the the uh, the thing that I, I read on, on on Frank Robbins at one point is how all the acrobatic characters all just kind of appear to be weightless as they're moving, and I think that that's just very true in the way he draws people. Uh, and like I said, I've grown to appreciate it. I think the storytelling is really really solid, and I think it makes up for some of. Uh, uh, his, his kind of strange positioning and some of his facial rendering. I think Giacoya brings some of his facial rendering a little bit back and in, more into the house style of Marvel and, and doesn't let him stray as far from that as he normally would in this particular issue. Uh, I always felt he almost has a golden age appearance to the way he draws. So I, I enjoy it. And I really felt like this story was leading to something. It was really building up. And I thought it was, you know, the culmination of the whole Nomad saga. Uh, and if you continue reading it, it actually builds up a little further because this is where they get into the whole Falcon uh, betraying Cap because it turns out he had been planted there by the Red Skull when he had the Cosmic Cube back in issue 117 uh, and that he really was actually kind of like a low-level pimp before uh, Red Skull found him. Uh, but then eventually, like, it just kind of built up to that and then it just kind of moved on and, and never really hit the potential that it had. But at this point, reading up to this point, just hitting that potential, I thought it did a really nice job. And and I, I appreciate this issue for basically for what it is on its own. 
again, if you go into the whole story and how it ultimately uh, culminates, I think it. I found it a little bit lacking, but just on this issue alone, I really enjoyed it. And having babbled on for quite a while, let me hear what you guys think about it. Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> okay. Um, I. This is a blind spot for me because I'm. I've been a DC person for for many many years, and and I. I like the characters, but I've never really read, especially in the '70s, a, a lot of uh, Cap or, or the Avengers or anything. But I had a little bit of a familiarity with the Nomad part of this. Um, I recognized Steve Englehart. Actually, I recognized just about everybody in the credits from their various Batman work, because Englehart did basically what's my favorite run on Batman from the from a, just a couple of years later with Marshall Rogers. Marshall Rogers, yeah, I guess. yeah, and. Frank Robbins, I'd, I've seen some of his Batman work, and th- I, I don't like that. This I think I Frank like Robbins slightly. is actually more famous for having written Batman than he is drawing it. Yeah, the, the few times he drew Batman and what I have and whatever collections I have, I never really liked his artwork. But here, it's it's a I like it a little bit better. I think it matches some of the more wacky aspects of Engelhart's script. Um, because there is some stuff in here that's just a little bit like, you know, a little bit out there. It's with the chicken gang, for instance. And and the, the way, what was cracking me up about the leader of the chicken gang was how he seemed to talk very, like, almost imperfect. Like, you could picture him having a very almost uppity accent, yet every once in a while throws in some sort of, like, quote, street talk slang. It's really, really odd. Um, he's like, ask rather what I would have done to him, and then like you know uh, what I would have done to him if he had been here when we arrived, Mama's boy. I'm like, that does not match up that's with not, what you just said. That's not Shakespeare. Ask no, rather on what further I consideration, have... you need yeah. not ask. You could give him a, kind of a British accent. No, and he arrived, Mama's boy. It's 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 like as if Carlton Banks was trying to talk like uh, like Will or something. You know, I just picture it's like Carlton Banks talk or something. But but the um and like the the bazooka. Did we ever find out who mm. shot with the bazooka at him? I never did. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if they said it. In, they certainly didn't say it in this issue. I'm not sure if they said it somewhere else. You know, like in a later issue, possibly. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. When I guess did you we got learn a how to do of, that. Of like, uh, 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 yeah, I lost my joke. Um, <laughs> Eric Clapton references. We've got Layla. You know, I shot the Nomad. But I did not shoot the Gamecocks. <laughs> and here I was thinking of the scene Commando where she oh. blows up the. Where did you learn how to do that? I read the instructions. <laughs> I learned it from you. Oh. I learned it by watching you. Um, I'm just, I just, I read this and I, I can't help but picture Peter Griffin fighting the chicken. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, you're, you're right. That, you're right. By the way, that leapfrog looks painful. Now, this was for someone who was really unfamiliar with what came before this and has never read any of this era before. I didn't feel lost. I was able to kind of kind of pick up on what was happening based on like you know with the dialogue and the thought bubbles and stuff was going on. It's it's pretty well paced. I mean, granted, he's basically running around the entire issue, and it has its fair share of action. Um, that costume is ridiculous. I will say, 
Nomad's mean, costume? Oh, yeah. Gamecock. Both of them, really. Oh, but that, yeah. nomad, that Nomad costume makes that first Nightwing costume look fashionable. Um, that and... costume will return, by the way, for future Nomads. And those <laughs> little those little yellow gold balls on the on the sh- by the by the neck will get bigger. Yeah. Well, those originally, <laughs> when the when the costume was first introduced, he did it with a cape, mm-hmm. and uh, those those were holding the cape on. And then, I think in his first outing as Nomad, something happens and he trips on the cape. So that no capes, Donig, no capes. That was that was put into play before the Incredibles, gotcha. and he basically just rips the cape off himself and then continues his pursuit. So, so they um, did have an actual purpose in the original costume. Okay, and then the uh, the ending is great. It's it is a really uh, although the whole ra- I get I, I kind of get the inner conflict of you know why he quit being Cap because I guess he'd been betrayed by the government more oh, or less. Yeah. Well, if, if you're not Nixon. familiar with the Secret Empire story, no, that that went on for a while, and okay. it turned out that number one of the Secret Empire. Uh, at the at the end of the story, at the end of the run, uh, he reveals himself to Steve, but we, the readers, never see his face. Okay. But it's made pretty clear that it's Richard Nixon. With knowing so, Englehart, it makes total sense. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, but so so I get why he would be so conflicted, but at the same time, I like how he does come around to the idea of, like, well, you're a symbol of the ideals the country stands for, no matter how corrupt the government is. So... So then that's, I think, and that just seems, that's why he puts on the costume, which is, which was pretty cool. So, and, uh. Yeah, he has the little debate with that, uh, the guy at the bank, which kind of, you know, just takes it further. That plus the protesty, protesters and Mm -hmm. what they're doing basically let him know that he can't run from, uh, from this conflict. He needs to kind of. You know, present. He he needs to present America in the positive light. Oh yeah, he's got this whole soliloquy on page thirty, thirty-one, and then it ends on thirty-two. And it, I, it was, it was a like I said, it was, it was a fun story. It was well paced, and uh, and and I enjoyed it, even though the art did get a little wonky at times, and some of the facial expressions were a little bit, a little bit weird. But yeah. And as as ridiculous as the costume is, and I'm not going to debate with you that it's ridiculous. <laughs> it did kind of fit. The style of that day and age. Yeah, you got to remember this is you know this is, oh it's the seventies. <laughs> so it's basically it's almost forty years ago. Yeah. So you know it's a it's a different you know different style. So the gloves with the big you know flares at the ends and the the buccaneer boots. You know that's that's all fabulous. <laughs> and then you know the the mask with the hair exposed at the top. You know that, that's popular before Cyclops did it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. There, I'm sure there were other heroes who had that look with the, you know, the mask that just had the top cut off. But I can't think of the oh, top. Oh, I want to say. I think Hawkeye had it when he was Goliath. Yes, and, and one of now either I don't know if it was before or after this. At least one of the Justice Society slash All Star Squadron members had it, and I want to say it was either. I want to say it was Johnny Thunder. Very possible. I'm going to say There's, that's after this. Yeah, yeah. I want to say it was after this because um, I don't remember. Um, Scott, if he was on here, would probably be able to tell us. But it's it was a it was a yellow pants, red shirt, black kind of half costume. And was that um, Max Mercury? Maybe and the Robin of Earth Two. Shortly after this, as well, adopts a similar costume where it's almost like a a full mask yeah, it's like a full face. head mask. Yeah, yeah, with with the hair. Because that's going to fool anybody who knows what your face really looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I've just got three more things to say about this book before we do some grades. Um, <laughs> um, I'm thinking that perhaps this issue, this particular issue, may have been the inspiration for the ambiguously gay duo on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> With a lot of the poses and the leaping and the the facial. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like... Um, and also, what is it, page 27, where Steve cries out Roscoe. Roscoe! Oh, my God, it's Roscoe! He looks like a teenage girl. <laughs> it's like, you're the Captain America. You've seen men die. Get a grip, dude. Well, you know what? I, I think, I, I think <laughs> is Roscoe the guy who owns the chicken and waffles place? <laughs> I'm thinking at this point, you know, uh, Cap is, well, well, he's much older because of having been through the, you know, yeah. freezing process and all. But I think, you know, if you eliminate the years that he was in on ice, he's probably in his mid-30s, say, mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, but he's uh, a And I think Roscoe is like maybe soldier. 17, 18 years old. Cap is and, a and he, he saw and he 17-year-old kids die. He's killed because he's dressed up as Captain America. So you can understand where that might be a, a kind of a traumatic thing. Suck it up, Cap. Man. Nobody, and nobody died in the comic books in the 1940s. <laughs> That's true. Except Bucky. No. Except for, no, but even he didn't die till the sixties. I was gonna say, yeah, they, that was a retcon. Mm. Oh wait, I found one, one, one more page fourteen. Boy, that that pose there at the bottom panel. What? Well, uh, that's got That's another pose that's got to hurt. Where he's kicking one guy and his, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. He's kicking really... one guy. Oh, he's actually kicking two guys at the same time, <laughs> punching another guy, and then there's a third guy, a fourth guy who's behind him, who's just kind of flipping for no reason. Wow! Yeah, but, but guys, if he were a woman, it'd be the exact same pose, except her butt would be facing the camera with her <laughs> boobs facing the camera at the same time, so... <laughs> and her face facing the camera. Yeah, every, oh, yeah. And, just... and her back twisted around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, wow, that shirt on Layla? Whew. Yeah, that, Is that thing cutting slush. off some circulation or what? <laughs> it's like, man... No. All right, that's all the smarmy comments I have. All right, well, I'm going I'm to give you my ratings on it. Uh, I think the cover is extremely effective. It's dramatic. Uh, it's Gil Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm giving it an A-. minus. The story, I think, is probably a little drawn out on the whole searching for the Falcon thing, but I think every scene kind of has a purpose I don't think there's a lot of superfluous things that are going on. Uh, I enjoyed the little the little cameo by the Beast in there. He's kicking his feet together, talking on the phone, and having the phone kind of stand on end while he's doing it. Uh, it's it, it you know it gives him a chance to give his little soliloquy in here. I'm gonna say B minus on the story. And then I'm sure I'm going to be the most generous of the three of us on the artwork. Uh, like I said, I, I know the individual renderings leave something to be desired, but I really enjoy the, the, the storytelling aspect of it. I enjoy the pacing, and I have just this, uh, this love of the, the look, just the, the golden age look without it being a golden age story, which are sometimes more difficult to read. So I'm going to give the artwork a B, and I'm sure you guys are not going to be as kind as me. So I'm going to give the book overall a B. I'm pretty much with you there. I would, although what I would do is I would I would switch your grade with the of the artwork and the story. <laughs> I would I switch would your grade with an F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> F. F. Um, no, I, I'm sorry. I, 
Yeah, I didn't like the. I I liked. I loved the cover. Um, the story I did like slightly better than the artwork, although the artwork I didn't find terrible because I thought it went pretty well with it. So yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you, more or less. Uh, yeah, cover. I'm I'm gonna give uh gonna go 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 with a B on the cover. The story, nice Steve Englehart hurt hurt heart yarn, much like some of the things well uh, that I'm more more familiar with with him with with the <laughs> Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I'll give it a probably like Paul a B minus. The art, mm-hmm, I I'm not super sold on it i'm not going to give it a d because it is stylistic you know it, it would be different if it was there was well i don't know it's just it's not that it's out of proportion all the, it's not that the proportions are wrong it's just i i see what you're stating where the acrobatic scenes they do look weightless and i hadn't really noticed that until you pointed it out paul that there are like like there's one specific one where cap is like le- leaping over to the top of a building um, and he's and he's almost looks graceful. Just, he's, um, I'm gonna have to give the art a C minus though. Still not as you know bad as as if it wasn't the same all the way through. I would probably do give it a lower grade, but 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 that's what I'm sticking with. All right, fair enough. And uh, you know I get a kick out. I I can't stop looking at the chicken men and. Uh... I get a kick out of the fact that you know they they got up in the morning and they put these costumes on first of all, <laughs> but but then the you know you got the main guy the gamecock who's wearing like a chicken head thing, but then each of his assistants kind of has the pimp hat. <laughs> I, the it's like it's like he borrowed a a group of criminals from like a nineteen fifties Batman comic. <laughs> there, the, there's the, a... uh, the assistants could easily have been played by. Uh, was it Lawrence Hilton Jacobs? <laughs> yeah, it's Huggy Bear from. Uh... Well, yeah, that's that would fit too. <laughs> from Starsky and Hutch. But I, I just I don't know I I just I read this and it just brings me back to a to a to a more fun back, age. Back, back to the seventies. <laughs> back to the seventies. I, I but, you know for what it's worth I just think comics were more fun back then. Paul would put his Gamecocks outfit on. Yeah. Hit the street, walk, walk around, then then you know you with your head bobbing like a chicken. The, uh, this 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 woman at the uh, protest rally must have some sharp ass nails. She ripped right. <laughs> oh, a stretch. No, my God, what are you doing, adamantium? What the she hell? She ventilated the costume, <laughs> but she doesn't rip his skin. No, either that or Cap's using really flimsy material. Maybe. Rips rips uh doesn't rip skin, but rips his costume. Then he just looks like he's really a village people uh, oh, yeah, reject for, like, the, you know. for the for for the rest of the comic. I I do take some issue with your comment that it's worse than the Robin the Nightwing costume because I think it's the same as far as the open chest goes. It, um, the the there's a slight difference is that Nightwing's costume didn't go all the way down to the belt. It 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 met like right around Did, the um. Didn't it V at the belt? It V'd at the belt, and that, that's all the way down. There was the. <laughs> Hold on, let me. It depended on who was drawing it. Um, as as conceived by George Perez, I'm pretty sure I, it went all the way down to, you know, like I it had the little V at his belly. Copy of the Judas contract right now. Vamp, it's right Paul, next vamp. To me. I'm opening up. I, I just, you know, we, we we touched upon, but we didn't go any further uh, on the fact that he goes and looks for Luke Cage, and then his thought balloon says, "Cage's color 
is a very slim lead, but it's all I can come up with right now. <laughs> so basically, because Luke is black and the Falcon is black, they must know each other. I had to read that three times, and I still was like, did he say what I think he said? Then, then the, the theater where Luke Cage rents his space above it is all, you know, uh, there's boards over the windows. But then he's got a note tacked onto one of the boards because uh, it says closed for repairs on the, the marquee. And it says, so am I. Gone to L.A. back when I get here. Luke Cage, and in parentheses he wrote, Power Man. Well, really, uh, really, yeah, he left this note. <laughs> all right, it is the seventies. It is New York City. So if the theater isn't boarded up, it's it's going to be a porno theater. So I mean, you know, at least it's it's accurate. All right, I'm looking at Nightwing's first appearance in the costume. The costume is that with, with the Robin costume laying on the floor behind him. Yeah, he, he's coming down the stairs. He's saying, "Are you people ready? Say hello to Nightwing." And the costumes V ends uh, right below his pecs. But he has that nice, the disco collar, you know, that, that oh, yeah. with the wide collar. Um, <laughs> it's the same color scheme, though. It's he's got he's got a little light blue, but he's got navy and yellow and and light blue. So it's it is a costume that only George Perez could draw well. <laughs> but you know what? I, I was reading that as it came out, mm-hmm. and I don't. And, and I was reading. Captain America as it came out too. So both of these costumes I saw when they were new on the newsstand. Yeah. And I don't remember thinking anything was wrong with either one of them at the time. It it it's just kind of a um it's actually not a bad costume. It was just kind of a, a silly little running gag, I think, at this point. I mean his when he would get the mullet like I started reading um was it nineteen ninety, so a couple of years before he got his second costume and got that awful, awful mullet and uh which which was probably a little bit worse, uh, depending on who was drawing it. So, which is actually a good segue into into my book, the DC book, because it's a new Teen Titans book. Woohoo! So that's mm-hmm. that's a segue. Yeah, that was that was well well done. <laughs> so, Smooth. I'll go ahead and get started. Then I guess um, I have the new Teen Titans number ten, and this is from the first of the new Teen Titans series. So the one that started in 1980 and not the, not the Baxter series. And the new Teen Titans number 10 came out on May 7th, 1981 and has an August 81 cover date. This is according to Mike's amazing world of DC comics. Of course, our cover is by George Perez and shows all seven of our Titans, Changeling, Starfire, Robin, Cyborg, Raven, and Kid Flash, Kid Flash and Wonder Girl looking up in horror as they stand on what appears to be a target, but is colored in almost like a pink and yellow as opposed to a red and white, so it almost like looks like the cover's faded. And I had to double check online to see if that was true, but that's beside, beside the point. The cover copy is as follows. The Terminator is back, and boy is he mad. Ground Zero. Credits on this are... Marv Wolfman and George Perez, writer. Uh, Marv Wolfman, writer. George Perez, artist. They're the credited as co-creators. Romeo Tangal is the embellisher, your inker. Ben Oda is your letterer. Adrian Roy is your colorist. And Len Wein, who edited our last book, is the editor of this book. We open in a room full of computers, and every monitor in the room has a picture of a different Titan. Looking at them is Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator. Serving him tea is his friend and manservant, I guess, Colonel uh, Wintergreen. And the fact that everybody needed a, needed a manservant. Everybody needed a 
friends. That was, the sign, that was the sign that you were rich. Yes. And our copy reads, Somewhere in New York's East 60s, high above the noise and city tumult, lies the penthouse of a man his neighbors know only as Slade Wilson, businessman. But it is only after you enter his two-story complex that you begin to get a glimmer of just what his business really is. And the title of our story is Promethean Unbound. And basically, Deathstroke is telling Wintergreen that he knows plenty about the Titans, except for Starfire and Raven. And if he's going to destroy the group, he needs more intelligence. Further complicating things is something called the Prometheum Gambit and getting back the Hive because of the events of his last appearance, which was uh, the New Teen Titans issue number two. They are interrupted by Dr. Benson Honeywell, who describes the MacGuffin, I mean Prometheum, which sounds like it's kind of what you get when you cross adamantium with nth metal. In other words, it can serve whatever function it needs to inside of the story. Um, Honeywell says that there is something that the Terminator needs to know, but before he can explain what that is, we cut to the Pacific Ocean, where an aircraft carrier is getting attacked seemingly from out of nowhere. The carrier is transporting a thermonuclear warhead, and it appears as if someone is going to board it. But then we cut to the Hamptons, where Questor the butler, who is the butler of uh, Steve Dayton, who also is the, wealthy man, obviously. Yes, also he is the world's fifth largest man or something. They would constantly say that. Um, and he is the um, basically the foster father, stepfather, whatever, of, of Garfield Logan, the changeling, and is also Mento, the fresh maker uh, from the Doom Patrol. <laughs> Quester is pen- pestering um, Gar to attend a Dayton Industries board meeting, especially with the plan since the plans for Project Prometheum have recently been stolen. Gar, who looks like he'd rather spend the day doing jello shots at the Bordy Barn in Hampton Bays than sitting in a board meeting because his old man went nuts and flew the coop and he just tells Quester that he quits. And he heads to his room where Cyborg has made himself comfortable and is playing video games on the big screen TV because that's what I'd do. We get a recap of who Gar Logan is, who Steve Dayton is, and how they were both involved with the Doom Patrol and what happened to the Doom Patrol. And then Cliff Steele, a.k.a. Robot Man, who is the only surviving member of the original Doom Patrol, calls with an update on um, his search for Mento. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, uh, Vic Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg's friend Sarah Sims, gets kidnapped after she comes home from shopping at the grocery store. And across the globe, various international 'er ne'er-do-wells are gathering for some sort of soon-to-be-revealed reason. Back in New York, the Terminator strikes, first directly taking on Starfire, who fights back and matches him evenly. He gets away by throwing a bomb at a building so she will have to save civilians. But that was his plan all along, because he just basically planted some sort of tracer or something on her. When he gets back to his hideout, the Terminator begins to tell Wintergreen all about it, but then the Hive calls and chews him out about the fact that Deathstroke stole the Promethean plants. Changeling and Cyborg arrive at Team Ta- Sorry, Changeling and Cyborg arrive at Titans Tower, where the team is already discussing Project Prometheum. And then, just then, the Terminator starts broadcasting a message through this small little device that he planted on Starfire's neck. He tells them that A, he has the Prometheum bomb, so he's made it into a bomb. B, he's going to demonstrate its power on them, and C, he's using Sarah Sims as bait. Cyborg flips out. Raven calms him down. The Terminator 
sends them directions to his locations because you know Siri isn't going to be any help. And they arrive at the Grand Canyon where the Terminator is holding Sarah at knife point. He lets her go in exchange for the Titans agreeing not to fight him. Then he takes off and arrives at what's basically some sort of underworld, underworld auction for the Promethean. And a computer screen shows the Titans dying at the drop of that Promethean bomb. He then opens the bidding and the Hive bids by killing everybody else in the room. He kills the two Hive lackeys, saying that that's what they that he's getting them back because of the way they killed his kid, Grant Wilson, who had been the Ravager, who had died back in issue number two. Just then, the Titans burst into the room, and he's all, "Wait, what? You're alive?" And they explain how they got out of the out of the trouble with the bomb, and then they go on the attack just as the Terminator sends a mercenary army after them. The Titans are kind of tied up with the mercenary army, all of them except for Changeling, that is, who's the only one who sees the Terminator sneak away. And, But instead of getting the bad guy, he takes a direct hit from the Terminator's staff, and uh, Raven... Let me start that sentence over. <laughs> Changeling is the only one who sees the Terminator get away because everyone else is preoccupied with his mercenaries, and Gar, instead of getting the bad guy, takes a direct hit from the Terminator's power staff. And when Raven arrives, she tries to help him, but it's too late. Garfield Logan, the changeling, is dead. And the box says, do we really have to say it to be continued? So, um, I guess I'll start with my... Um, I chose this because I was... I wanted to choose a basically one of one of the better comics in my collection and I've, I've being a long 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 time fan of the Titans I wanted to choose something that um, is, is one of the better issues and this is um, just to get a little little history on Deathstroke um, who back then was called the Terminator they really started using Deathstroke after pretty much into the early 90s when Terminator 2 came out and it became you know Deathstroke was easier, I think, for them to copyright than the Terminator. Um, Slade, this is Slade's second appearance overall, and he would not make another appearance until about um, issue 34, I think. Mm. So, and then that would be the Judas Contract, and honestly, after the Judas Contract, he has like a couple more appearances, and then he doesn't make another appearance until 1989. So until he gets his own title in the very early 90s, he probably has less than 10 appearances in a comic, which is pretty much unheard of these days. The Judas Contract was in the 30s? I thought it was in the 40s. It was in the 40s. Um, 34 is the issue where it's revealed that Terra's working for him. Oh, okay. And then he appears again. It's really, in, he's banging a 13-year-old. Creepy. She was 16. It's still creepy, but I think she was technically 16. But even then, that's creepy. <sighs> anyway. Um, I am sl- Sled was in the Terminator. <laughs> you'd, 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 uh, think, you'd think you'd have better morals than that. <laughs> to terminate your virginity. Ooh, sorry, sorry. sorry. Ooh, that was bad. Yeah. Well, you knew, you knew she was evil when you saw that she smoked. Oh, yes. <laughs> And she wore, and when she wasn't around the Titans, she wore a lot more makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was one of those painted city women. <laughs> you hussy! She probably hung out with the the the, the guy, the girl from the Captain America issue. Layla, her and Layla, Layla hanging out on the roof. Her and Layla, yeah, <laughs> wearing tight clothes. <laughs> I um, I was this this the other thing to note is that this sets up um. 
basically the next four or five issues as well because this goes directly into 11 and 12 which they take um they take changeling to paradise island to use the and the amazons use their you know the healing ray whatever whatever purple ray or whatever something they have on there to, prince uh, does it <laughs> yeah prince does. Purple this is what it sounds ray, like when duck <laughs> this is what it sounds like when garfield dies yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So they, they bring him back, and there's a whole storyline where um, the female Titans and uh, are off fighting on Paradise Island against like the Greek Titans and things like that. And then Robin, Cyborg, Kid Flash, and and uh, go off, and you have that really great story from about issues 13, 14, and fifteen, where they go looking for the Doom Patrol. And they track down Madame Rouge and uh, and and fight the new Brotherhood of Evil and stuff. So th- this starts off some really good. Um, oh, that's got the Brotherhood of Blood, right? With uh, with Brother Blood, you've got Monsieur Mala. Yeah, that right? comes. Yeah, well, that, the Brother Blood comes a little. Things. Brother hmm. Blood comes a little later, but this okay. is where this is where Mala and the Brain come back. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I just that. Yeah, so. I just pictured Pinky in the Brain. Today exactly. we're going to take over the world. <laughs> Same thing we do every night, Pinky. <laughs> trying to take over the world i mean I, I was just amazed at how much is in the issue when i read it because i haven't read this one in, in a few years and you know reading current comics where you really can read them very very quickly there's wolfman and wolfman does have a tendency to overwrite sometimes and try to pack just about everything he can into an issue and and but here um one of the things about the the team of wolfman and Perez that really really worked was that george kind of kept him in check as far as his tendency to kind of go off too much in one direction. And, and you could tell that like, you know, Paris helped pace this a lot better where, you know, you're cutting between three or four different settings yet. We're always coming back to the a plot. And, you know, when we didn't spend too much time on the other things because we knew we were going to get, going to get them down the line and we still have a whole, have a whole story within here that does end on a really, really good cliffhanger. And, um, and the, the art's gorgeous. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I think Paris Paris can meet Wolfman, whereas uh, Wolfman can be detailed with the writing. Paris mm-hmm. is detailed in the art, and they're a good match together. This is yeah. uh, you picked the this was the first um, this was the first New Teen Titans book that I bought. Oh, really? I had I had started to read um, um, well the first of this series. I had read Crisis, and then I picked up the Baxter books was kind of where I started with DC. And then I went back and I've got, I've got all these, all all this run up, you know, all all this run prior to the Baxter books. And then I had the Baxter book run until I way, I want to say into the nineties. And then, then I kind of dropped off Titans. So yeah, it's been a, I haven't read any of this stuff since I was in high school. So it's, it's, it's been a long time. That's why I'm starting to remember some of it with brother blood and everything. But yeah, yeah. I I like this one because I think I bought this book, I actually think it was about ten bucks when I bought it. These were um, when I started buying the when I started reading the New Titans back in the early nineties. Um, most of this run was very cheap because nobody was buying New Teen mm-hmm. Titans back issues, and the only issues that were expensive were like the first maybe three or four, and this and thirty four because Deathstroke was becoming more popular. So I think I got this for about seven or ten dollars myself too. Yeah, whereas all the other ones I got for like a buck fifty. So, 
I got it. For, yeah, I got it for fifty cents. Fifty cents. Fifty cents because I got it off the rack. I did. I I was. You know what? I had started. To, you were there, ground zero, baby. I was at ground zero, literally. Uh, I, oh, I had yeah. uh, started to like the Teen Titans as a concept mm-hmm. uh, from the prior run. I had bought some of the issues very late in the run. I think the first volume one, I think, ran fifty-two or fifty-three issues, it was something 50. like that. Because I actually have fifty three and fifty three was the origin of being retold, if I remember yeah. right. And I had I had started like maybe on issue forty eight, and then I was actually very disappointed when it was canceled. <laughs> and then I had been on the ground floor with this one, with uh, you know when it came in DC Comics yeah, Presents, and then right through it. And uh, this this was this was like one of the you know the must read books because it was just such a high quality and so consistently of a high quality yeah that that it was just it was just great and uh, i mean i could go on and on i i I love the artwork i think this is george perez at the top of his powers this this is as good as it gets um the story i think flows really really well and i think you you may be onto something there where where perez may have influenced uh wolfman a little bit to kind of move things along uh, yeah. That they may have done this a little bit more in the Marvel style, uh, where where Perez got to kind of impose his will a little bit on it. Uh, having having read some of the recent George Perez writing, I think George Perez the writer might do well to be introduced to George Perez the artist. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> like it, it's like the whole is better than the sum of the parts. You know, where like a like any great creative team, where the two of them separate are, are okay, but together they were, you know. Excellent, and he would be co-plotter by it at one point. You know what? I'm 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 going to disagree with you to the extent that I still think I think George Perez with other writers has been excellent, mm-hmm. and and Marv Wolfman has written some other terrific things without George Perez. So it's not oh, yeah. it's not that you had to get the two of them together to realize how good they are. Yeah. Uh, so you know while while yeah, I, I see agree, right. yeah I think right. I know what you're talking about, and you're right. right. <laughs> you know you think of Marv Wolfman on uh, I'm trying to think. Tumor Dracula was Marv Wolfman, unless I'm mm-hmm. mistaken, which was mm-hmm. some great stuff. Uh, George Perez on the Avengers was awesome, so you know there's there's other stuff where they where they did great great stuff, but together uh, together they came to make you know one of the seminal series. I think this is one of the you know the all time great runs, so it certainly shouldn't be discounted in any way. Yeah, I am. I always give Romeo Tangal credit as well because he was Perez's inker for quite a bit of this title, and George Perez is. Probably not the easiest person to ink. Um, I don't. He, I doubt that he is very yeah, much. But he's also, and and you notice this if you if you've read it if you've read the stories as as many times as I've had, if you've read Crisis as many times as I've had. He also has this tendency to um, the inker will clearly kind of overtake a little bit of his pencils. You can tell when he has a different inker. Um, like he would have Mike DiCarlo at one point, and it didn't gel as well now he might have been doing rougher pencils than the more detailed pencils but it didn't gel as well it did as it did when it was Romeo Tankal or Jerry Ordway for instance or um or Dick Giordano or somebody so I give Tankal a lot of credit um I'm looking at this first page and I always crack it up when I see like computer rooms in comics from the 70s or <laughs> 80s where they were like you know I have a Kindle sitting next to me that probably has as much memory as that entire room does <laughs> <laughs> look look at the detail that the backgrounds have in this in this issue yeah. so early, early george perez i think would sometimes take some shortcuts 
you know, he'd, he'd have the figure look shocked, and then he would just kind of have shock lines around him, mm. uh, which would probably make it easier to ink ultimately because you know it was very very simple simplistic. Yeah. This almost almost every panel has a detailed background on it. Uh, it must have been a nightmare to try and ink his work. <laughs> I'm looking in particular at the shot on page. Uh, page nine of the story with uh, Sunfire flying and she's basically flying upside down or she's yeah. headed upwards and you could see all the buildings underneath her and the, you know the detail of every rooftop just must have taken hours and hours and hours just to ink the background on that page yeah. and Eduardo Barreto would do a very long run on the Baxter book after you'd have Perez you'd have Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Prisby's name, and then you'd have Barreto, and Barreto would go all the way up to right when Perez came back, and then Tom Grummet took over. And Barreto had some gorgeous art, but he didn't have the didn't always have the backgrounds that that Perez did. And and you're right, this just looks like this took so much time to do too. And uh, did either of you did either of you guys read the um the what is it the games hardcover that came out yeah. a few years ago? I bought it and I never sat down to watch it, to read it. Excuse me. I read it. It's I I enjoyed it actually. I I read it all in one sitting, yeah. you know, because it was just it's I great. just I just couldn't stop reading it. I was like, yeah. wow, this, is, you know, and it was right right in this era and and yeah. style. Yeah. And, and one thing I'll say that really really helped it was that it came out because um, it had been in the can. Parts of it had been in the can for years, and there was it was stops and starts, and there's a whole backstory into how the thing got created. And when they put it out, it's not exactly Elseworlds, but they just kind of took it out of continuity where they like, it's almost like it's con- there's continuity up to a point and they just kind of said, well, we're just going to tell the story. So they're not bogged down as to what the t- present Titans continuity was. And I think that really, really mm-hmm. helped with the story. It, it's a very good self-contained story. Actually, it was, it was really well worth the wait. Mm, I'm, I definitely have to pick that up. And yeah. S- oh yeah. Sit down and page. Uh, just a couple of more like points on this is mm-hmm. I didn't realize until you pointed it out how uh, sparse the uh, Deathstroke appearances were at this point. Yeah, I, I do remember being impressed at the time and to this day with just how mysterious of a character he was back then, and and I, I wonder if some of that is lost now that he has more of a background and you know you're more familiar with him. Just the way he was slowly developed back then was was terrific, and he was very menacing. Uh, you know, when the Judas contract came out, I don't know if in hindsight it could have the same effect as it does as it did eating it fresh at the time. No, Just, and, again, because the character has been so much more developed since then. Yeah, and there's so many different. I don't. I honestly don't know what his current origin is, and um, but his the origin they eventually revealed to, uh, for him is a great one. Because he's he's basically he, there's a little bit of Batman there, but he's basically Captain America, but as if Cap decided to become a mercenary mm-hmm. instead of a superhero. Because they experiment him on, he's you know he's a Vietnam vet. They experiment him on experiment on him, and it supposedly fails. But he keeps it a secret, and he becomes this this mercenary. And that's the other thing he's. I think the thing that makes him so cool as a villain is that he has a he has this legitimate reason for going after the Titans as opposed to I'm just an evil villain who you know we're in the same comic book so I'm going to fight you type of villain. Okay, like, the the death of the Ravager. Yeah, the death of the Ravager, and he inherited the contract 
all the way back in issue two, which doesn't play out all the way until issue 40, you know, where the Judas contract comes to its fruition in the, in the mid forties. So as we, well, we discover that did, did, um, all right. Cause who put the contract out to begin with? That's what I don't remember. The Was hive, it hive, the hive, the hive tried to hire him. He refused. Right, so and his they, son gets the same process, but it it pumps mm-hmm. him up so that he has one. He uses one hundred percent of yeah. his brain, but it burns out his body and it kills and him. Is, and it kills him. So well, that I guess okay. So if I remember it correctly, it's his sense of duty that he takes the contract, yes. even though he hates the hive for killing his son. Yes. <laughs> you said duty, <laughs> and then and then he. You can tell he's learned something too because when he takes them on in the Judas contract and he takes them down, he takes them down one by one when they least expect it instead of taking them on directly. And he had been, and and then he, between then and there, he gets, he hires Tara Markov to um, infiltrate the group. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it is a long, if you look at it, I, I'm sure they didn't have the idea for the Judas contract all in place at this point but he had something in mind so it's almost like they're it's a long game so to speak well yeah it was which was of of this period with other books and other companies that you know marvel did that with uh, yeah. some of some of the chris claremont plot lines that played out mm-hmm. forever some that never played out mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know and some of the things that john byrne did as well yeah well and, and terror was kitty pride basically he he um He's the evil in, Kitty Pryde. Well, he, he's even said in interviews that they used to get compared to the X-Men all the time, and they had introduced Kitty Pride a few years before, so he basically said, well, let's introduce Kitty Pride, but make her, um, you know, make mm-hmm. her uh, not as likely, you know, basically turn turn it around and she's evil. So, yeah. Which, but is, yeah, which no, the, is pretty good. That's, I mean, yeah. it's a, I think it's a great concept. Yeah. And... I mean, they do long storylines like this now, too, but there's just a lot more action in this book at this point than there is in some of the stuff that we see now. A couple, cool. couple other just things that I, I noticed sure. is uh, when, uh, was it Dr. Honeywell shows up? Uh, Chris's <laughs> cousin. Doesn't, doesn't, he, uh, doesn't he look like the ventriloquist? No, he's, um, he, he's, he's Dr. Benson Honeydew. Benson Honeydew. From the Muppets. Oh, from the oh, Muppets. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Okay, that, that's actually pretty clever. Yeah, I thought he was Chris's cousin. He could be that as well. He could be. Yeah, but no, uh, he's, he's when clearly, uh, but... when Elastigirl gets married, she apparently marries Reed Richards. <laughs> well, you know, he he's getting old, so he therefore has to um, have the gray. No, nobody just goes gray uniformly. Everybody just has to get gray at the temples. Yeah. I, I right. never understood that comic book trope because you don't see that many people who have the gray tra- temples. Like, did I tell no. you? Did I tell you my unfortunate story about that, Paul? Have I talked about that on the show before? I don't think you have. Why don't you enlighten uh-huh. us, Doctor Bill? Is this a real life? Uh yeah, yeah, it's a real stupid life. Yeah, general, go ahead. It's time for stupid real life with Doctor Bill Robbins. So when I was in high school, I decided one day that I wanted to have gray <laughs> temples like Reed Richards, and I, <laughs> I turned on all. <laughs> so. I, I didn't quite understand the whole how to bleach your hair. And I I I tried the first time. I tried the lemon juice thing and that just didn't work. You know, tried 
I I didn't understand what sun in was or hair coloring. So, you know, they say, well, you bleach your hair. Well, I guess you could kind of figure out where I went with that. <laughs> well, Clorox so I went, on the head? I got a little Clorox, and I could have put it in a little cup, and I stuck my fingers in it, and I started wiping it in my hair right by, by my ear, and I'm like, ow, 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 ow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so after the chemical burns went away... And my hair was brittle as straw right there. Yeah, I never did get my gray sideburns. <laughs> Certainly, uh, anybody who's looking for a physician would now go to Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> I didn't say it was my proudest moments. It's, that's gotta be At least I'm truthful. Taking the piss warm uh, Mountain Dew. <laughs> I, I don't know so, how to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I've got nothing else to say about the book if you guys have uh, what else oh the, other, the only other thing I just wanted to, to touch base on was the you know it was a little bold at the time to have the relationship with uh, Cyborg and Sarah Sims that they did mm-hmm. uh, you know interracial relationships really were not a norm at that time uh, I'm, yeah. I'm still not even well accepted there I think there's still uh you know some some unfair uh, prejudice that people have to deal with in those relationships. So uh, at that point, yeah, man, she's she's dating a machine. What's up with but, that? But they were they were pretty much a platonic relationship, even they, though they had that kind of smoldering romance going. Yes, and the the thing that held him back to Wolfman's credit was not his race; it was the. Um, it was the cyborg part because right. yeah he was so still that angsty because he had just gotten you know he had just become cyborg when the story when the series starts so so he's he still has all that angst of like you know how is she gonna like me and you know and and, and that so to his credit he really uh, he really did that well and did not make cyborg a, a stereotype which I think one of the reasons the character is still popular. Yeah, I would I would agree, and I I, I think it, but I I still do feel it was a, it, it was a bold. Oh yeah, I agree. That was handled subtly, and mm-hmm. that's Ooh, yeah. that's not an easy combo to do. Yeah, and and is think, it, yeah, at no point is there like a big arrow screaming, "Hey, this is an interracial couple," you know, tonight on a very special Teen Titans, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yet she, she had you know the feathered Farrah Fawcett hair of the day, you know. That oh, was... yeah. <laughs> Uh, how do you? Uh, I guess uh, it's your book, Tom. Why don't you? Why don't you give us your ratings first? I, I all around. Um, this is <clears throat> not that. I mean, there were the occasional weak issues of this series, but this is definitely one of the stronger ones of the early run of the series. So all around, I um, I think the the cover I'm not the biggest fan of. I will tell you that it's certainly a dynamic cover, um, but um, but over the interior makes up for that, and and I I would give it an A. Yeah. Uh... I look at the cover, and I think it's not an iconic cover, but it's no. well laid out. It's dramatic. Uh, yeah. I, I like the use of Zipatone on the bomb. Mm. Uh, the, the, the concentric circles kind of lead your eye right where they need to be. Uh, so I think it's very well laid out. And uh, I'd say a B-plus on the cover. It's, it's mm-hmm. very, very solid. I, I gave the interior art an A-plus because I don't think I, I can't remember off the top of my head any regular monthly book that has superior art to the, what this one yeah. does. And I think you were saying something about how the script is very packed, but the art 
doesn't make it feel that way. And I think you were just yeah. about to give me a grade for the script. Exactly. I, I think the, the writing is, is packed. I think there's a lot of stuff covered in there, but, and, you know, thanks largely to George Perez's uh, influence, as as you've pointed out, I think it moves along at a fairly brisk pace, mm-hmm. and it never becomes uh, a bear to read, uh, like some you know early '70s books were. Uh, sometimes there was there was so much exposition that it was tough to read the books, and this yeah. one never never fell into that trap. So I'm giving the story an A, cool. which which is overall for the book, I'm giving a solid solid A, right. uh, borderline A plus. Dr. Bill, one to you. A, A, A. Good night. <laughs> Before we lose the call. No, uh, the cover. Who, who is it? A, A, A. I, 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 I. <laughs> no, the cover, uh, I mean, this this book holds a little special spot for me because I said this is the one of the, the first one. I remember this one being the first one I bought of this era of books. So, I, uh, yeah, I know you've got, I tend to like these simplistic covers more than, than you have in the past, Paul, cause I like the Thor one be with that. Uh, that was just him with the white behind him. Yeah, so the, girl, the girly Thor, the girly Thor, the girl, I'm not the girly man Thor. I will kill you just like the, the dead, the undead Vikings. Anyway, um, I'm going to give this color, uh, this color, this cover an a minus, because uh, it would be nice if there's a little more, but it's still a. Hey, it's it's George Perez. I you know I would I would stick this on my wall if it was a poster. Um, the interior art the same. One of my favorite shots in here is one of the shots where Starfire blasts um, Deathstroke. Yes, it's uh, a well drawn awesome fight too. Yeah. On page twelve, right dead center, when she blasts him, mm-hmm. and like you could see bits of his armor and stuff just going all over the place. And and then the next shot, he's got this smoldering pinkish energy stuff wafting off off of his armor. It's just magnificent. And uh, you know, this was two master craftsmen at, at at the top of their game. So this is this is A's all around for me. A A A. Cool. I I couldn't agree more. I I totally think that that it is. Uh, we are kind of deep into this episode at this point uh do you want to try and do the third book now i think what we can do is scott's got an indie in the wings now i'll have an indie in the wings if you do an indie we can come back and do an all indie show uh, maybe, maybe uh, mm-hmm. you know uh <laughs> mark Kalmbach just sent me two issues of f true <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had I had thought of an indie because I have plenty of indie comics, but I don't really have a lot of superhero based indie. They're they're all like um, I have Strangers in Paradise and, and a lot of stuff that I guess you would qualify as drama. So I didn't even know if it'd be anything you would we would have been you would have well, been we, interested we have in. No strict <laughs> rules on on okay. genre. I will. So, yeah, you I could have brought whatever you like. Yeah, I will keep that in mind if you if you ever have, have me on again, and I will. Uh, I can put something together. Um, because I have some random things here and there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if if you're up to be back on again, uh, we I definitely enjoy having you again. Oh, I, think, I would. You, I would. you add a lot to the show. Thanks. No, I, I I'm I'm glad you liked the the book that I brought. I mean, granted, I I thought I brought a for first one. I was like, you know, kind of come out of the gate swinging, so to speak. And and but I really had fun with this, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm very happy you guys invited me on. So thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming. Anytime. On. Yeah. Cool. So I just so I, I did have a book, everyone. <laughs> I don't want you know. 
I I take a lot of crap from people. Oh, Dr. Bill phoning it in, didn't bring a book. Imagine that, man. All that bleach went to his head. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, it, and, and to be fair, because I'm flipping through it right now, um, you know, it, it's... <laughs> It's it's Greg Land at his I'm sourcing porno for my female drawings finest. So. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I read it. Hey, I'll have some things to say about that when we cover the book. Well, you know, that, and that's that's uh, from just to pick up on the thread that Tom was putting out there. Uh, you picked a book that was probably going to get a lot of conversation, just if nothing else, for for the fact that Greg Land drew it. Yeah. Hey, I've actually met Greg Land. Because he actually comes into Yancey Street Comics uh, down here. Is he born there? I don't know. But you know what? If I could draw cartoon characters from porn stars, hey, I'd be doing it all the time, too. So I got (laughs) no problem with his art. Uh, I know some people bust on it. but uh, I don't have a problem with his individual renderings. I usually have a problem with his storytelling and his pacing. Yeah. I think think he, he... become such a slave to the uh you know the photo box that it that storytelling is lost in the process very often yeah especially with his um i have that one phoenix mini he did the uh end song yeah the, the three-part end song yeah and that it was is... like three series and it was like six issues in each i don't know something yeah, like something that like, it was like it was 18 closer. issues total yeah and and um and some of that is very very stiff in a sense Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll we'll save that for when Bill brings his independent to the, yes. to the table. I'm bringing my independent. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.